Welcome to the Believing Art Podcast uh, with Dr. Charles Ricks and Mr. Seth Brown. His co-host Seth Brown. Uh, we are super excited to uh, start this podcast. We've been talking about it forever, and uh, so here we are. We're starting it. We're starting it. Here we're starting we go. On a great painting. Uh, I couldn't pick a better one myself. Uh, Charles, you want to just intro the painting and or yeah, it's the uh, tower painting by Peter Bruegel, the 1563 version. It's hanging in the Kunsthistorische Museum in Vienna. And this painting relates to not only the time uh, that of its own painting in um, 1500s, but also the Genesis story in Genesis 11 of the Tower of Babel. Right. When was the first time you encountered this painting? Uh, the very first time I encountered it was in grad school. Really? When we were talking about um, different pieces of art that go along with biblical texts. That right. was the first time that I saw it uh, and or, or really knew about it. But then I didn't really start studying it until um, we did it in Vienna right. with a course of theology and art. Yeah. And that is when um, the painting really opened up for me. And I think of... A lot of our class as well. Right. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah, that was when I first encountered it. And I remember, actually remember it was sitting right next to, I think another one of his paintings, the, the peasants or right. peasant scene or something like that, which was a really interesting contrast, which mm-hmm. we might get into later. But, uh, that was my first encounter, 20, 2017 Vienna trip. Yep. And it certainly, Vienna trip. it left an impression. <laughs> I think, I wonder, I think that was the first big, like, painting that I interacted with in this kind of Mm -hmm. way that we'll be exploring throughout the podcast. Well, and it's a really good one to start with because it, it has such a, um, it it has so many things about, uh, artwork that are easy, Mm. easy to talk about. Right. Right. It's, it's, um, it's, it's clearly about a tower. It's clearly right. about a tower in relationship to people. Right. Um, it's not abstract so that it's, right. it's difficult to think about, you know, well, you know, what is, what is this painting about? You know what it's about. Uh, it's got a clear reference point, um, with the Bible. And of course, as we can talk about, uh, with its, uh, with its own time mm-hmm. and has a clear reference point. So, um, I think it's a good one to start with. Yeah. Really good right. one to start with. Art uh, is, uh, are, are very much like texts. Mm. Right? It's, it's an image, but it's still a text in that the painting uh, says something, right? It has mm. a message, but the painting also does something. So um, it, it has content, but it's also acting upon the viewer. Right. Right. And so those are sort of two it's, things we need to think about. Yeah. It's almost uh, asking questions of the viewer. That's it's, right. It's, mm-hmm. yeah. And I know, I know for me, as I continue to look over this painting, I realized that that's what it was asking. It's prompting the viewers to engage in it in a that's specific right. manner um, with a specific, with a specific set of ideas that it wants mm-hmm. to consider. Yeah. And, and just as we ask um, questions about the painting, the painting asks questions of right. us. Yes. And this, yeah, for sure. So, so it's not neutral, right? <laughs> There's nothing neutral yeah. about this interaction. Yeah, and that was one thing I found really interesting in my experiences is that uh, when you're looking at this kind of art, it 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 does take effort 
Like you, you have to put forth effort if you're going to understand right. what's going mm-hmm. on. I remember uh, one of my favorite things about walking around these museums was taking a break halfway through because my head was just so tired from trying mm-hmm. to engage these paintings. That's um, right. And I know this one in particular, there's a lot to engage with. Yeah, and it's, <clears throat> I think that kind of effort that you're talking about um, really comes from curiosity. You know, okay. are we curious about what these paintings say and what they do? Right. And uh, it, it, like any piece of art, it has to do with how open you are to it. Right. So it's um, pieces of art like this are not elevator music. <laughs> That's good. That's you know, good. It's not, they're, they're not stu- it's not stuff that you just put on in the background. Mm-hmm. It, it really demands attention. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing, since it is... Um, you know, kind of the title of our, our of our series is believing art, right? Right. So it it because it does engage theology at some level. Then the other question that we bring to this conversation is, what does this piece say about God? Mm. What does this piece say about us? And what does this piece say about our relationship with God? Right. Which is really how we should be reading the Bible anyway. Right. Is like a piece of art. Right. These things aren't these things aren't different in terms of how we engage them. Right. So this painting is going to prompt something uh, because it is connected or it was inspired in some some measure um, and has a parallel in some way to the Genesis text. It is it is going to engage those questions. Yeah, I think that's a that's really important uh, thing to remember. Is the way that we read the Bible um, is in many ways the way that we also engage paintings, uh, famous art, or that's any right. kind of art. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, there's there's a lot of crossover. For me, I know learning to engage art in this way actually opened up the Bible for me in ways that I would never, would never have even imagined. Um, and it continues to do that. I mean, a, an enduring piece of art, like an enduring mm-hmm. sacred text, has life to it. So yeah. it's not dead. Right. It continues to live on and, and question us. And I think the other thing, and, and something per- very, I think it's really appropriate for this particular painting um, because as we'll talk about in a minute this piece involves a tower but it also involves community mm-hmm. um, as does the story uh, in the Bible but the way we learn to read the Bible I think is also very much connected to the way we learn to treat people okay what do you mean by that exactly well it's kind of it's sort of the ethics of reading Right, the, the, an ethical reading, which is now that I've read something, um, I'm responsible for it. You know, what is it? What is it asking me to go and do? Mm. You know, is, is it prompting me to think about my fellow human beings in a particular way? Um, so, you know, very much like what we read the Bible. You know, it's not. It shouldn't be just about history or facts or. You know, some some kind of text like that. I mean, mm-hmm. there, you certainly do that, but um, you know, hopefully, at least from a Christian point of view, you're thinking about what does this mean, not only for loving God but loving others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't you can't walk away from it once you've seen it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't unsee it. You can't unsee it, um, and that's I think 
it, what what just came to mind was, you know, in this in this day, there's a lot of ability on social media to just walk away from someone or something. Mm, that's right. You can you can just leave it where it is. You don't. There is no responsibility because there is no encounter through, in, in my opinion, through social mm-hmm. media. You're not encountering uh, and someone else, an actual face. You're not encountering something. Um, and so you can leave, you can walk away from it without responsibility. But, but yeah, what you're saying is, is that in many ways, once you see the art, once you see what it's saying, you now are responsible to do something with those mm-hmm. questions. That's right. And, That's right. Um, and maybe, maybe that is you walk away from it, but, but once you encounter that, it's, mm-hmm. it's harder to, you can't unsee it. It's really yeah. Cool. But, but yeah. And the other thing is, is that the artist also painted with something in mind, mm-hmm. right? He painted it to be seen and to communicate. And so, what what is? Can we know that? What is that? Yeah. So we're gonna. That's what we're gonna try to figure out. Yeah. That's what we're gonna try All to figure right. out. So let's. Yeah. Let's get into it. Um, let's. Uh, how do you want to do this? You want to read and then describe the painting briefly, or. Um, yeah, we can do that. Um, the tower story is found in Genesis 11, 1 to 9. So let me just read that here um, out of the RSV. Now the whole earth had one language and few words. And as men migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have one language, and this is, the only, oh, this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and therefore confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. Yeah, so, I mean, clearly the the reference to Babel um, probably is Babylon, Mm. right, with with its many towers into the uh, tall towers, ziggurats, I guess they were known as, and um, playing homage to their gods, Marduk being the chief mm. among them. So um, there's, prob- there, there's probably a referent, well, there is probably a referent to, uh, to Babylon in this story. Um, but also, you know, the artist was painting... Uh, Bruegel was painting in his own day. Mm-hmm. So he right. also probably was thinking about something very specific yeah. as well. That's, not just Babylon, but something that's right. else. Um, yeah, so the day and age in which Bruegel painted this was uh, 1563, uh, if I'm getting that year correct. He, um, he, he painted it, I believe, in the city of Antwerp. Uh, there's this wonderful article that we can... Um, make sure that if you're listening to it, that you have to this podcast, that you have access to that article. 
Um, and this article gave me a really interesting background on the history of the painting. Um, the city of Antwerp was this uh, city that underwent massive growth in a very brief period of time. And this, in turn, this, this growth kind of uh, s- severed a lot of the communal bonds within the, the city of Antwerp. And so um, there were a lot of people, a lot of the leaders were trying to address these communal issues by, by trying to figure out how best to create a community in this city that is rapidly mm-hmm. expanding. It's a city that was extremely diverse, that spoke tons of different languages. And, and the question that the leaders were asking is, how do we bring this community together? How do we create community um, in the city that is undergoing some massive economic changes? Um, new neighborhoods are being established overnight. Um, so there, there's a lot of parallels that we can kind of begin to draw from this historical mm-hmm. context. Um, I would like to discuss real briefly the, the actual image of the painting itself. If you have a podcast app that uh, allows chapter headings, you should be able to see the painting now. Um, and I just want to briefly describe some of the elements, and, and you can sure. feel free to chime in, uh, Charles, when you want. Uh, obviously, the, the, the thing that immediately catches the eye, at least my eye, is the tower itself. It's this massive, looming, almost Colosseum-like structure uh, in the very... I mean, it takes up the majority of the painting. Uh, and near the top, you can see it's, it's unfinished. It's, it's got this kind of red tint from the bricks. And uh, this got, it's got this nice, uh, what appears to be like a marble facade uh, outer mm-hmm. covering. And there, there appears to be some like damage or some sort of um, structural integrity problem near the center. Looks like there's been a collapse of some sort. Uh, and then in the left foreground, we have another really interesting image, which you can see there. Looks like this king is, is pointing down at this... Uh, servant that is uh, cowering or kneeling before him, mm-hmm. um, and right. then kind of in that, uh, what fills the rest of the scene is this sprawling city, which uh, has just a bunch of smaller buildings that that really are completely dwarfed, completely mm-hmm. and totally dwarfed by this right. colossal, um, colossal mm-hmm. building that's that's taking up the entire painting. Which is the reverse of what Bruegel uh, often paints about, which is village life. Right. That's exactly right. In fact, as I mentioned earlier, when, when I first saw this, there was uh, this wonderful juxtaposition between this one right next to another one of his famous paintings. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember which one it was, but these peasants were um, having this raucous time, uh, very... F- you know, frantic activity, um, just kind of living this village communal life. And in this one, you don't see much of that at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, the people that you see, there's a very different story that's going on. Yeah, and I think that was the way it's curated in the uh, Kunstsitzerisch in Vienna really makes that point. Uh, it's very, very well, is that there's something about this tower that is eclipsing community. Mm-hmm. That's right. You can't miss it. Right. Um, if you miss it in the painting itself, you won't miss it when you see it in conversation with other Bruegel paintings. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, I think a helpful place to maybe start engaging both the painting and the text is actually try to place this painting uh, in the text. At what point 
is this this painting being captured uh, in the text? And well, that's that's really interesting because um, you know one of the things I think that we talked about when we were doing this work in yeah. Vienna was you know make a case for it being placed. Uh, in the process of being built, right? Or can it be placed at the end of the story yeah. in the process of being abandoned? Yeah, right. And which of those two ways? Um, which? How do those two ways affect how we read the story? Right. So, is this? A, in other words, is it is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? Yeah. Um, and what are what would be the clues or the case to be made for each one? Yeah. Right. Um, so I'm thinking that when you see the the peasants in the lower left hand corner that you called us our attention to, um, it almost seems like it's in the process of being of being built because you have right. There's go ahead. There's well, if you look at the, if you look really closely, you can see a lot of the peasants are still uh, like there's hammers and chisels Chisel. lying around and. Uh, there's some carrying carrying the stones off towards the tower, and um, mm-hmm. it, it it appears almost as if this this figure that's kind of standing there with his finger pointing at the peasant is is coming to see the progress of his yes of his right. You know, how's the work going? How's the work going? That's because right. Because as you mentioned earlier, the tower the the tower itself is tilting a little bit. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> that's right. So it may not be going all that well. Right. Or, you know, it's encountering building of this size. Um, it's almost like building the Titanic, right? You, you, right? You're creating a monster. You don't know what that monster is going to do. That's right. You think you do, but you don't until uh, you get it gets built. That's right. And it's almost, it's almost as if they can't even... It's not sustainable. It's it's like it, yes, they, they can't right. even. Mm. They're creating something so large that they can't even keep up with its own, mm-hmm. uh, uh, its own breaking down. You know, everything breaks down, and it's this structure is so massive that they're constantly having to repair it. Mm-hmm. And you wonder if they can even ever finish it. Yeah. So maybe maybe we put this somewhere in the middle. You know, maybe yeah. we, we we put it. Um, at, in one of the passages, you know, where the Lord is reported as saying, "Come, let us go down." Right. Well, and that's that's kind of how when I first encountered this and and put it in the text, to me that that kind of made sense for what was going on. You have this very snapshot like scene of mm-hmm. of what's going on, and it it's it just almost seems as if you're taking. It's like you're stepping into. The portrait itself. You've got this really unique view. The left foreground there is almost inviting you into the scene, almost yes. as if it's saying, "Come, like, come see what this is about." about. Where this this painting is inviting you directly into the story, and it's mm-hmm. it's asking you what what is going on. So, it, mm-hmm. to my way of thinking, it seems very appropriate that we're kind of placed in that role uh, alongside with the Lord. Where the Lord says, mm-hmm. "Come, let us see what's going on," mm-hmm. and and we too are also being invited to evaluate what's going right. on, see, seeing if it is if this commu- if this giant yes. community center tower babble thing is good or bad or bad. And the other question that comes up 
<clears throat> in the painting that, that she says we're invited to think about it. It also comes in the text. It's right because the, the Lord's response is, "See, they're doing this. So whatever it is they're doing, you know, will will be impossible for them. And so let's go confuse their language." Mm-hmm. Well, the first question I have is, well, what's so bad about it? Right. I mean, does the punishment fit the crime? That's right. And so, well, what is the crime? That's right. What are they doing? What are they doing that's so bad? Mm-hmm. Well, the traditional view of that, and by when traditional, I'm, I'm really referring to what, I, what you hear the most, mm-hmm. is the hubris of humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, look at us. We're going to build a tower. We're going to we're try going to, to reach, reach God. God. Yeah. Um, it's sort of a hearkening back to uh, this story in context of where you find it in the Bible is in context of those early stories in Genesis where, um, you know, Eve sees the fruit. She, it's desirable to make one wise. Mm-hmm. And so you're sort of grasping, grasping at greatness, yeah. right? Yeah. But I'm wondering if there's... But this, the way this painting is done, it makes me think of something else. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, the 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 real question might be, well, what's this doing to humanity? Mm-hmm. You know, it, maybe they are prideful, but in some ways, so what? You know, what, what's what's so bad about that? Mm-hmm. Right? Just keep asking those questions, yeah. and yeah. well, you know, it it could be that it's destroying the community, right? You know that that it's, you know, you've you've got this tower that's. I mean, it looks like it could just fall down and you know just, just take out half the take town. out half the yeah. town, you know. Yeah. Um, and then you've got these people begging or on their knees at right. the bottom, and this sort of yeah, they're cowering. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think that imagery is maybe like to us wouldn't be. Like there might there might not be a, a lot there, but when you understand his other work and the images That's of exactly. his other work, mm-hmm. and you look at these peasants, they're having a great time. Mm-hmm. And then you transition to this painting, and suddenly they're cowering and slaving away, mm-hmm. and and it's almost as if um, the good peasants have been have been robbed of what makes them what makes their community work. That's right. That's right. They they are. Um, it's it's a picture of oppression, mm-hmm. you know, and that's one thing I think maybe we don't typically think about that I think we should think about, particularly in a theological sense, is that when we have great structures, they may be awe-inspiring, but it's they're built. These structures mm-hmm. are built on the backs of thousands of peasants. That's right. I mean, just pick something, you know, the pyramids. Thousands, you know, great, you know, um, cities in, in antiquity built on the backs of thousands of people. Mm-hmm. The same is true with cities in our own own day. I mean, do we think about the people who actually build right. these things and what their lives are like, what risks they take mm-hmm. to build the skyscraper? You know, so you know. What about them? That's right. What about them? What about I, them? I, I think one of the uh, one of the things that actually, as you're reading through the text just now, it called to mind. There's that phrase in the Bible. It talks about uh, "Come, let us make bricks." Yes, mm-hmm. and that the image of brick here, um, 
I, I know in, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Bible, that, that idea of making bricks has a very distinct reference to Egypt. That's right. Um, where they yeah. made brick all day. And so you, you, you kind of connect those two stories, um, and, and you almost have to ask yourself, oh, is this what was hap- Was this the same kind of brick making that was occurring during the making of this, this tower? And I love how in the picture you actually see that there are these massive red bricks um, just right there at the base of the tower. And there's this really, what I see is this very powerful imagery. This this kind of inside of the tower is red, and there's it's almost flowing down. Mm, you can see it yes. flowing down the tower side, mm. um, and almost down out towards the sea. And and so you have this red flow across the tower, and it's like, is that was is there some sort of imagery of blood associated there? What was there? Mm. Is it possible that this tower was constructed, as we were saying, you know, on the backs of the oppressed? And it's, it's. I think, I think Rugel, uh, at the very least, uh, would not disagree with that interpretation. Sure. And I know, I think the Bible certainly points to that interpretation mm-hmm. of it. Um, but yeah, it does make you wonder. Yeah, how a community runs and and. You know, at maybe a really modern day example of this is is Amazon. Okay. We have Amazon Prime, and we click a button and we get a package at our door the next day, and that that is amazing. I I mean, it's it really is this amazing, breathtaking, like oh my gosh, <laughs> we have this community, this society that allows us to do that, but when you start to get into some of the details of how that happens um, and the demand that, that is created when millions of people want it next day at their door, there are certain demands that, that are kind of filled by mm-hmm. people who may, maybe don't have a really good option and so they are forced to, not forced to, but, but they do have to take a certain position that might not be amenable to their flourishing. Right. Well, I think any any big human achievement um, does it, it it not only risks failing, but it also risks lives, and it typically risks um, community. Mm. Uh, and so. I think at the you know if you if we look at the big sort of the iconic building failures mm. right you look at the the Titanic would be right. one um, you know not even God can sink this ship mm. you know was was one of the things that was said by the builder um, and then you look at the space shuttle Challenger mm. you know um, all of these big things that we build. Um, that push technology mm. just a little bit further than we're ready to handle, right? Um, a lot of times, the like, no one would have thought that the Titanic would sink because it hit an iceberg, something that simple, right? Because mm. you're so obsessed with how magnificent the structure is, right? Right, and the same thing with space stuff, right? You're so obsessed with what you can do in space. 
Right. Yeah. That some, you know, you, you a lot of times you overlook the small flaw, right? And so the story, I think the reason it's so important in the painting, the reason it's so important is because I think it should make us think about all of those things. You know, is what we're building actually worth it? Mm. And and will and and will it bring what it promises? Mm. So what if we reach the heavens with the tower? I mean, I'm just thinking about the that the tallest buildings in the world, the ones the ones in Dubai, and right. I mean, it, it really is spectacular. But at the end of the day, what's the point? Mm-hmm. I mean, what 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 does it do besides make you gasp? You know. So, and it seems like that these, um, the other thing, if I could maybe point to another big building, not a failure, but a, an eventual collapse, which we don't normally think of is the, is the, um, temple, the first, the Solomon mm, temple okay. in Jerusalem. Yeah. Um, because if you read in first Kings five, uh, it tells you very in explicit detail how many thousands of people it took to get the lumber from Lebanon down to build the thing. Right. Right. And so it too was built on the backs of yeah. people. But what you no- notice and what it's remembered for is how it was Solomon. It was this great temple built with this man who was the wisest person ever. It, it's all the things that make you that take your attention mm-hmm. off of the thousands of people that it took to build it. And that temple ultimately was ransacked, you know, by Nebuchadnezzar, burnt to the ground, everything carried off to Babylon. He didn't last. And when God exposed Solomon in first Kings 11, with all of his wives and his heart that had left right. the Lord and all that. And so the kingdom was divided and his son took over. They begged the son mm. not to be the hard taskmaster. Right? So Solomon was not innocent in the building either. That's right. right? What was it that his son said? It was this famous line. It's like, you thought you thought my father Solomon was... You thought my father Solomon was bad. I'm going to be... His waist Worse. is the size of my pinky. pinky. Something like that. that yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really... That's that's part of the question that it's asking us is... is um, One of the questions that we can kind of realize that it's asking us is what are some things... What are the ways in which our communities are making the same mistake that the Tower of Babel is doing? Um and this is a real, I mean, that's a really interesting question that I don't think you, you necessarily get if you just read the Bible, but when you suddenly see the, that's right. the actual people cowering before mm-hmm. this, this Nimrod like character, you suddenly go, Oh, what about them? Mm-hmm. What about them? Um, and, and it's, we're prompted to ask that question. That's right. The, the art, <clears throat> it gives you another entry mm-hmm. into the text. So um, it's 1 Kings 12, uh, 1 Kings 12, um, verse 10. And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, you shall, 
thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, your father, Solomon, made our yoke heavy, but do you lighten it for us? Thus you shall say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's loins. That's right. And now, whereas my father laid upon you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. Wow. Not good. <laughs> Not at <laughs> all. Not good. Not at all. And it's, yeah, we could, we could, just the fact that the people come to this new king and they say, yeah, Solomon was actually really, he worked us really hard. Mm-hmm. We would we would not like to do that anymore because that was bad. Um, that that one line there, I think, is so easy to miss when we when we read the story of mm-hmm. the kings. You know, we we typically I've always read kind of that story as like, oh no, Solomon, like he was yeah he was kind of a bad guy or kind of he was a good king, but yeah he kind of messed up at the end. It's like no, he like he really oppressed his own people, people. his own That's people. Right. That's right. To accomplish his his mm-hmm. dreams of his empire, of his kingdom, of his mm-hmm. temple. Well, the other thing art won't let you do is art won't let you quit halfway in the story. Mm. You what know, do you mean? Well, when you see a piece of art, right, you see the whole thing at once. That's right. Right? I That's mean, right. There is, everything is right there for you. Whereas a lot of times in his text, but just the way we we read in sequence, right? You read from the beginning of the story to the end of the story. A lot of times with biblical stories, we, we quit in the middle. Mm-hmm. And we don't really ever tell the whole story, mm-hmm. right? So we never actually get what's actually happening. That's right. So we quit on Solomon <clears throat> when he's, you know, right at the beginning when he's wise. Mm-hmm. But we don't see how he worshipped on high places. He, you know, married all these different women and had all these other concubines. His heart, you know, went after the Lord. Chariots You know, thousands of workers building his temple. You know, oppressing them all the way to the end. We don't, we leave that part out. That's right. I think this might be a good place to end. If you... What what question is this painting leaving for you, Charles? I mean, if you're walking away trying to answer this one question mm-hmm. that, the te- mm. that the painting is asking of you, what's that question? What's that question? I think one of the questions is all the work that I'm putting so much time and effort into, is it worth it in the end? Mm. And... All of the time that my work requires, what is that doing to relationships? Mm-hmm. Is am, am I putting am I putting my time and effort into something that in the end is just going to collapse, or am I putting my time and effort into something that is going to build something that will out that is going to build something relational that will right. outlive me. Right. So, I mean, another way of maybe thinking about that is, um, you know, a lot of people really work hard at their jobs at the expense of their families. So they may wind up with a lot of money in a huge house, but have, they have no relationships. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, that's kind of what the story is. 
getting at, right? And so are there ways... Okay, another thing along that line, if you know, from a theological point of view, is okay. So we're working really, really hard at this, and then something goes wrong with that, and we can't finish what we're doing, right? And we get all upset with that because we feel thwarted. But could that be seen as God's intervention for saying the reason this isn't working is because I'm interrupting it because you really don't need to be doing this. You need to be doing something else. So, I think if you put it, go back to Genesis. If 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 the redactor of of, of Genesis, um, you know, is putting these stories in sequence. If the original purpose was for human beings to multiply and fill the earth, mm-hmm. take care of it. Well, you clearly can't do that if everybody's congregated in a tower, right? And so is the Lord coming down and disrupting all of this and scattering people all over the world? Is that, is the interruption necessary to get people back on track, right? So another question would be, how do we look at interruptions in life? Mm. Yeah. I would add to that the... um just a brief little comment that I heard um, some some time back in regards to that idea of the the changing the language. Uh, it's almost it's almost as if um, the Lord was coming down and interrupting them in such a way that he was he was uh, kind of testing them, if we want to say it like this. Um, so, for example, if you speak a different language. And we're trying to work on the same project. The amount of time and effort that it's going to take for me to learn your language, mm-hmm. to understand you and where you're coming from, you're, that's going to take a lot of effort to know you as a person. That's right. And so maybe, is it, could it be possible that the Lord wasn't even necessarily concerned with the building of the tower as much as he was, well, how are these relationships between the people working on the tower? Um, if I, I think, if we yes. can disrupt their language and they can still work to know each other and understand the language, uh, then they can. That's fine. But they need to know each other. They need to learn each other's language. Um, and that's the point. That's that's the issue. Was that they weren't trying to understand each other. Exactly. They were they were that's right. obsessed with this goal, mm-hmm. uh, and they were forgetting about the people that they were working with. Yeah, and that disruption would have been the opportunity to stop what you're doing, doing. turn to the person next to you, and go, "Okay, we're not speaking the same language. language. We need to understand each, each other. other." And it takes both parties to do That's that. That's a good point. That's it a takes, great point. It takes both parties to do That's that. That's right. Um, I think for me, the the question, the one question that I'm kind of left with, that I was, I was struck with uh, as I was kind of preparing for this. Is do do we see the real cost of these technologies? Do do we see mm. the real cost of these structures, these edifices that we construct for the sake of our own glory? Do we do we see the cost? It's hidden. It's very much hidden. You have this nice white facade on the Tower of Babel, but the core of it's you know red. It's this brick that symbolizes in many ways this really intense. Uh, oppression and 
you know, you see the, the peasant cowering, but it's very, it's very diminished. I mean, if, if you're not careful, you can actually miss that and, and not really see what's going on. So I think for me, the, the question mm, that I'm left with really is, good. do we, do we actually see these hidden costs, these hidden costs of oppression mm. that occur as we are trying to, That's right. maybe as we are trying to construct this kind of community, um, in our best efforts, maybe we're, we're completely missing the point. Because yeah. we're not seeing the cost. We're, we're not, not seeing willing it. to see the mm-hmm. cost. So. Well, that's all I've got. I think we're good. I think we're good. I think, I think we're good we, on this one. We covered that one really well. Um, thanks for joining us. We're super excited about this podcast. We'll be putting out more episodes, hopefully, hopefully soon. Um, yeah. Yep. Seth here. Uh, just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to our first episode. Uh, we're still working on some of the audio qualities, but enjoy it. I thought it was a really good one nonetheless. We're so excited that uh, you are joining us on this journey into art. Thanks. Thanks so much. Uh, be looking for episode two coming out soon. See you next time.